In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I hate goodbyes. I'm not a fan of saying goodbye. I'm an emotional guy. If you know me for long, I'm just not good with goodbyes. Uh, One distinct memory I have popped up in my Facebook memories the other day of saying goodbye to Uganda for the very first time. We had been there for 10 weeks in Uganda to bring home our daughter, Phoenix, Natabo, Juliet, Bokel. Away from our boys, all three of them were at home. So 10 weeks separated from our boys in 2016, and it was not an easy journey. What I wrote is if 8 to 10 weeks ago you had told me that leaving this place would come with weeping and heartache, I would have called you crazy, but you would have been correct. Excited beyond words to return home and see all our people, but at the exact same time, so heartsick leaving this place and these people. I don't think Uganda is finished with us yet. We wept that day. On the way home to see my three young men who I hadn't seen in 10 weeks, we wept. We'd made some of the dearest friends, formed some of the dearest relationships. I hate goodbyes. And when you come to the end of a sermon series, especially one that's a little bit longer, we've done 19, this is the 19th week we've spent in the book of Ephesians. Paul's going to sign off. The sermon series is going to come to an end. We're going to say goodbye to the book of Ephesians. But know this today. The letter to the church at Ephesus has an ending. We'll see it today. It's obvious. The letter can't go on forever. But the transforming power of the gospel never ends. Paul's going to make sure they know that as the letter closes. That the letter to the church at Ephesus has an ending, but the transforming power of the gospel never ends. And so, Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. His words in verse 21, and and in these just two kind of sections today from this passage, uh, the first is kind of the tender love of Paul. We see it here. In verse 21, he says, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. This this man, Tychicus, was a faithful minister, says in there. He was absolutely trustworthy. You'll find out why here in just a second. Totally dependable and selfless. And Paul actually puts three letters in his hands. If you remember the setting, Paul's in prison in Rome. It's about 62 AD. Jesus has been dead, buried, risen, and ascended back to heaven for roughly 30 years at this point. Church at Ephesus was planted about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, a resurrection and ascension back to heaven. 
A church in Ephesus has been there. Uh, Paul, on his first missionary journey through Solid Plant, and now he writes uh, this letter. The church is about 10 years old as they receive this letter, and a lot has happened to Paul in these years of ministry. Now he finds himself in a Roman prison cell, and he's going to write four letters, actually. He's going to write Ephesians, Colossians, a little tiny book named Philemon, a book called Philippians. He's going to send three of them with Tychicus, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. He's a trustworthy man. Paul is writing the inspired word of God. I don't know how aware he was that we'd still be reading the book thousands of years from them, but, but we will be. And it all rests in the hands of Tychicus. He'll stop in Ephesus first and deliver this letter. And he'll take Colossians and Philemon with him to Colossae, where a saint named Philemon helps, has helped to start a church plant there in Colossae. Along with Tychicus is a man named Onesimus who was formerly a slave. We'll see both of those. Uh, we'll see Philemon at the end of the summer. We'll spend two weeks there. It's a very short book. Then we're going to jump into Philippians, which was the other prison epistle. And then at the beginning of next year, we'll see Colossians. So all the prison epistles by this time next year will have gone through all four of those prison epistles, those letters that Paul wrote there. In prison, but notice Tychicus, the faithful friend. Selfless. He doesn't have to be the star of the show. He doesn't have to be the voice. He's content to carry out his role with that book and or these letters and hand them to the people that they belong to. Might we be those types of people who fill the roles that God has called us to just faithfully and humbly? We see the tender love of Paul continue. He says, I have sent him, Tychicus, to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now, I think of this. When I was a uh, teenager, I would, you know, when I could drive, I would go out. My mom would always say, call and update me. Let me know how you're doing. And I always did that out of just so I didn't get in trouble. But I call my mom now to let her know how we're doing because I know how much my mom loves me. And I know that in the speaking of updating her of how we're doing, it's a way of acknowledging how deep her love is for me. And if you've ever loved somebody, you know that one of the most hurtful things that can happen if you've poured yourself out for somebody is when they act or say something that makes you think they don't know you love them. They kind of act like that love doesn't exist or they act like that love's not a big deal that can be hurtful. And one of the most honoring things that someone can do is acknowledge that they know you love them. In a way, Paul's doing that. Saying, I'm sending Tychicus so there can be a face-to-face update on how I'm doing. I want you to know how I am. That's not selfish. I just want to have Tychicus talk more about Paul. He knows that they care about him. The saints at Ephesus loved Paul. Paul loved the saints at Ephesus. Paul loves Tychicus. Tychicus loves Paul. It, it, listen, you know it's going to come to a, a head here in just a second, but if you could take away any thread from today or from even the book of Ephesians in general, it's that when God said that 
or when Jesus said that all the commands and all the rules and everything that he ever taught through the prophets and the law hangs on two things, love God and love your neighbor, he meant it. It really is that simple, okay? Not easy, you didn't hear me say easy, but it really is that simple, love God, love neighbor. And Paul's displaying that love for the saints at Ephesus throughout this whole book. He ends with that tender charge. He, he wants them to know how he's doing. Not only that, he wants to encourage their hearts. We don't know what he said specifically. I like to imagine that Tychicus had some things to say to some of the people that were there. If Mary Magdalene, in fact, was a part of the church at Ephesus, maybe he has a word for her from Paul. The Apostle John was part of the church of Ephesus. Maybe he has a specific word for him as well. Encouraging words for the saints that Tychicus will deliver with his mouth. But he also delivers this letter, and we know what it says, and it's been chock full of encouragement. And so uh, bear with me, or, or don't bear with me, celebrate what we've seen. I'm just going to read it. Over the last 18 weeks, what we have seen from the book of Ephesians, the first half of the book was the gospel story. Indicatives, things that are just absolutely true about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and we just basked. In the gospel story, chapter one, verses one and two, we saw the gospel story that it has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's what we were made for. Then in verses three through ten of that same chapter, we we saw our gospel DNA determines who we are today and who we will be tomorrow. One of the verses we read there was Ephesians one, three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's who we are now, in Christ, blessed. Not just a little bit blessed, but with every spiritual blessing from God. We saw our DNA as that. We saw our gospel inheritance in verses 11 through 14. Our gospel inheritance secured and sealed by grace transforms how we live today and gives us peace-filled rest as we look towards tomorrow, so much of the gospel story is good news for today and bright hope for tomorrow, by the way. There's all those two parts to it, and, and Paul brings our attention to that over and over again. We saw gospel-informed prayerfulness in verses 15 through 23. The gospel inspires our gratitude, it informs our prayers, it enlightens our lives and fills us up to the point of overflowing. When we moved into chapter 2, remember Logan Tennell preached the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Some super famous verses there, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Many of you have maybe heard, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with, with God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Logan, if you remember, called this Christianity 101. The basics and the beauty of the gospel. Then we called that gospel grace. Then we moved to gospel nearness. What we saw in the, in the next few verses was that God's heart is to be near to his children. He wants to be close to you. He doesn't pull back from you at, at the sight of your sin or your brokenness or your uh, mistakes. 
He wants to be close to you. He wants to be near to you. God's heart is to be near to his children. And Jesus paid the price so it could be so. And it is so. Then we went from gospel nearness, like our nearness to God, to gospel reconciliation, our nearness to one another. These verses are so important. Verses uh, 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. We saw that Jesus is the singular hope of togetherness. That it's not in uh, that that our hope for togetherness in the midst of everything that divides us is only Jesus in a world of countless divisions because you can only have reconciliation with the reconciler. And that's Jesus. Then we saw gospel mystery as we moved into chapter 3. It defies logic, Paul said, that God would save any of us, let alone that he would save me. Right? Defies logic that God would save any of us, let alone that God would use any of us. And the great mystery of the gospel is that both of these things are an actual reality through Jesus. Then gospel strength, verse 3, the strength required for the Christian life is not found in us. It's rooted and grounded in the abundant power of God's multidimensional love for us. And this was what sent us into chapters 4 through 6. Because as we turn that corner, we are coming into a place, if you remember chapters 4 through 6, of you need to get your life together. There was a lot of stuff that sounded like that. You need to live this way. You need to respond this way. But he says, be careful as you go into these chapters to remember verses 17 and 19 of chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, if you have any hope of living out the imperatives about to come, you must be rooted and grounded in love. The love of Jesus, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we turn the corner and like week after week, we felt like we were in the wood chipper of, oh, I need to do this different and I need to do that different. Gospel unity was one piece that we saw. Verses four through six of chapter four. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and belong, uh, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One of the utmost priorities of the people of God is unity. We saw gospel ministry, that our ability to contribute to the kingdom is found only in Jesus. We saw gospel transformation, the gospel empowers, the gospel of Jesus empowers transformation in our lives. We saw what we called gospel life, that the result of true gospel transformation is an actual change in our lifestyle. We talk different, behave different, act different, think different. That's the result of the gospel. We saw gospel love. We said true love is defined and displayed by God. And only true love is true love. And true love is the way. that God gets to make that definition. He says, therefore, in verse chapter Five verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
We move from gospel love into gospel walk and then into gospel marriage and then into gospel authority. Whether you're in authority or under authority, your responsibility is the same, honor authority and honor the dignity of others. And then last week, Jay preached to us about gospel harmony. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We've had a good trip together through the book of Ephesians. And God's done a lot in your lives and in my life through the book of Ephesians. Because the word of God is powerful. And this book has stood the test of time and it continues, right? The gospel story continues to transform our story. There is so much grace in Ephesians. So much beauty, so many breathtaking realities. And the realities that were true for the saints at Ephesus. Can you imagine reading this, right? Just fresh on the papyrus or whatever, right? Like the pen, Oh, man, what grace. And those promises, those realities are yours, too, saints of God. But there's something you got to know about the, the saints at Ephesus. We find it in the book of Revelation. You see, about 30 years after this letter is written, John the Apostle is going to write to the church at Ephesus as well. Not a whole letter, only about 11 verses. When he writes to them, he has affirmation of some good things they're doing, but he also has condemnation for some things that they're not doing. And if you want to, un- if you want to close out Ephesians, you have to look to Revelation chapter 2 to see how things went for the church at Ephesus. Again, about 30 years later, right? Only 30 years. That's not a lot of time. It's really not. The, the the teenagers here might think that sounds like a lot of time. But it ain't a lot of time. 30 years, blink. But in 30 years, a lot had happened. If you go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you'll see two affirmations that John gives to the church <clears throat> at Ephesus. It's actually the words of Jesus, right, spoken to John that he then writes. The angel of the church in F to the angel of the church at Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands this is Jesus's message for the church at Ephesus 30 years after the book of Ephesians i know your works he says your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, uh, and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. If you skip to verse 6, you see the uh, part of the affirmation continue. Yet this you have, he says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. I want to tell you what he's saying here. Two things. One, he's commending them because they don't suffer false teachers. That's a good thing, by the way. He's not telling them to hate evil as in don't go out and and preach the gospel to sinners. 
He means specifically by evil there, those who would call themselves followers of Jesus, but then twist this book for their own selfish ends or for their own power or for their own greed. False teachers. He says, you guys don't suffer false teachers, but instead you test the message against the truth. Might that be true? Right. Thirty years from now, 60 years from now, 100 years from now, Mercy Village Church still exists by God's grace. Might we be people who have tested every word that comes out of a preacher's mouth, every word that we've read on social media, everything that we've heard on a podcast against this book. To see whether it is true or not. Just because it's popular doesn't make it true. Just because it's edgy doesn't make it true. Just because somebody you trusted said it doesn't make it true. And so they did not suffer false teaching. They had their doctrine in line. In verse 6, which is weird, he says, you hate the Nicolaitans just like I do, right? It's kind of funny. Uh, we share that. We share our common <laughs> hatred together. What is it? The enemy, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I don't know. That doesn't apply, actually. It doesn't even fit with that. But... That's why I should never go off script. But he, so the Nicolaitans, right, were the opposite side of the Judaizers. We talked about them in the book of Galatians. They came in and said, you got to add all this other stuff to the gospel. you got to eat the right way, uh, obey the right commands. you got to add all this additional stuff. It's not just grace through faith. It's all these works that you're going to have to add to it. They were legalists. Church at Ephesus did not have time for legalism that was out of step with the gospel. But neither did they have room for licentiousness. What the Nicolaitans' big thing was, oh, if grace abounds, then let's just sin our hearts out, baby. Let's do what we want because there's grace aplenty in the kingdom of God. And so we'll live how we please, we'll do what we want, and we'll just trust the grace of God to save us in the end, right? Get out of jail free card, grace. They didn't have time for that either. They'd read the letter to the church at Ephesus because they were the church at Ephesus. And they knew that the gospel story transforms our story. It doesn't leave us how we were. It changes who we are. It causes us to live different, think different, act different. So they knew that that was wrong as well. So they, they stood against that. Number two, they stood firm in the face of persecution. By the time John writes his epistle, Ephesus is under intense persecution and yet they stand firm in their faith following after Jesus but there was a problem it's a scary one actually because it's internal it's beneath the surface verses four and five he says but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first remember therefore from where you have fallen repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Two things. We don't know what love he's talking about. There's two possibilities that scholars talk about. Is he talking about their love for one another? They've abandoned their first love, the love that they had for one another that was so obvious in the church at Ephesus. They were like a, like a, a brotherhood and a sisterhood of people, deep love towards one another. Or is he talking about their love for Jesus? They've abandoned their love for Jesus. I like to think oftentimes when, when things are left ambiguous like this and both of them can be true, that maybe God did that on purpose. Because love for God and love for others are so tightly tied together in the teachings of Jesus and in the teachings of God. Those two commands, love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two hang all the law and all the prophets. So it can be either, and we can apply it to either. And what John says is, you want to see a church die, or more appropriately, by God's good grace, quite frankly, be snuffed out? Build a church that doesn't love God and love people. And look, they have a bunch of great stuff going for them. But they don't, their love is flickering out. Hear me, churches can be successful, in particular in places like America and first world countries in Europe, without any love. They can. By the world's standards, churches can be very successful without love. You can build one up by the world's standards, right? You just got to have good attendance, good numbers, good growth graphs, right, of how things are going, good giving numbers, a good social media presence. Got some important people in the crowd that show up on Sunday, some movers and shakers who can make things happen. You got a, a building and some cool design work going on, whatever. And again, I'm not saying any of that stuff's bad. What I am saying, though, is that when it comes to the gospel priority list, it's way at the bottom of the list. Way, 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 way at the bottom of the list. What's at the top of the list is love God and love people. But man, you can build a church. Think about us, and it doesn't maybe feel that way today because it's Memorial Day weekend. We've been having about 80, 85 people in here, and we're still babies, babies. This church is a baby. We started with nine people. This November will only be two years. Things don't normally grow this quickly, that fast. And it'd be really easy for us to think we've done something special. But if you're close to the leadership of this church, you know we haven't been God who's done whatever's been done here, and he deserves all the credit for it, and not a lick of it should go to anyone else but him. We're not successful because of these cool backlights up here. That's stupid. We're successful only as much as we love God and love people. Listen, you can be successful by some of the Bible standards, too. They were. They had doctrine right, man. They were winning the Bible trivia competition at every church, any church competition. They won Bible trivia every time. They knew it inside and outside. They knew the gospel backwards and forwards. They could, they could snuff out a, or smell out a counterfeit when they saw it. They knew it. They had doctrine. And they were holding on to the truth, holding fast, standing firm. They looked good from the outside, even by some biblical standards. They knew their doctrine. They they carried on against opposition, but they did not have love. Paul writes about this in the church of Corinth, chapter 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It doesn't matter how good your preachers are, your singers are, your teachers are. If you don't have love, worthless. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm worthless. You you, you can know all the doctrine. You can understand everything there is to know in the Bible. Uh, You can even have great faith. No love, worthless. If I give 
away all I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Worthless, 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 worthless. Hear me today. We can grow this thing, this Mercy Village Church thing. If we want to and got lucky, maybe we could grow this into the biggest Sunday morning ticket in Barbersville. How cool would that be, right? Without love, worthless. Worthless. We can have great doctrine just spilling out our ears. And I would love to look out across this room and just become more and more assured that you guys know the gospel backwards and forwards and inside and out. I would love it. It would make me so happy to know that, that all of us can open up the word of God. We can smell out counterfeit teaching. We can articulate the gospel clearly in our own lives and into the lives of others. But if we don't have love for God and love for others, worthless. That's what happened to the church at Ephesus, and it only took 40 years. 40 years. And everything externally still looked good. But internally, the love had begun to flicker out. This can happen to any church. We're not exempt from that by any stretch of the imagination. Love God. Love people. Which is why what Paul closes with is so important. Because... I don't know how much you've tried to love God and love people, but it is not easy. Especially the second one, right? Loving people. And really, only a novice would say that it's easy to love God. It's, that's not easy either. Because we're broken humans. We need help. We're not going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps high enough, strongly enough to love God and love people. We need Jesus. Paul knows what's at stake, but he doesn't use his final words to shake them awake. Now, that doesn't mean he hasn't tried to shake them awake in the book. He has. There's a place for that. But his parting words, he wants to be tender and loving and point to someone, not himself and not any of them, Jesus. So he chooses his words very, very carefully as he closes out the book. And here's what he says. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to love God and love people. You're going to need to have peace. And that peace can't be something you find on your own. It's going to have to be peace that comes from Jesus. The old Hebrew word is shalom. Means wholeness, completeness. For us to be people who have love spill out of us, we have to be whole, complete. I can't be complete. I don't have anything internally to make me complete. It has to be Jesus who makes me whole. The same is true for you. He says you got to have love from Jesus. The word here is agape, unconditional love. Not just like you love tacos, but like deep love, like really unfailing love. You can't love like that, but Jesus can. Jesus alone can love you like that and make you love others that way because he loves you with an everlasting 
love, a never stopping love. He says you've got to have faith. If you're going to love God and love others, you have to have faith, and only that can come from Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. For us to be people who love God and love others all the way up to the end, we, we have to have Jesus. Verse 24, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace. If you're going to need grace, and if you read that verse out of context, you might think that grace is only for those who love with incorruptible love which might make you think, well, I ain't getting any grace because my love breaks down all the time. But if you were in Ephesians 2, you remember that grace comes by faith, which is a gift from God, not by works. So incorruptible love can't be the payment that we make for grace, but instead the evidence that we've received grace. That's what he means. Grace to go to the end, right? To be saints of God who love God and love others all the way to the end comes by grace through faith, but the evidence of it is love that never ends. Saints, if you belong to Jesus, your love for God and your love for others, if you're anything like me, might ebb and flow up and down. But if you're truly in Christ, it will never, never die. It is incorruptible. cannot be quenched. See, it appears that I've mistitled the sermon on purpose. Because in the gospel, there's no goodbyes. There just aren't. Not physically. Paul's going to die. He was reunited in Christ in glory with every one of those saints in Ephesus. But the work of the gospel never ends either. The transforming power of the gospel is incorruptible. One year later, exactly in 2017, to the day, we found ourselves getting off a plane in Uganda. Um. I told my wife I wasn't going to do this because I already, um, man, I want to eat that meal again. (laughs) I want to sit at that table again. I'm sorry. (laughs) I just do. God writes the best stories. We were reunited with our brothers and sisters in Uganda, and those relationships still stand to this day. We support Pastor B-Dubs. He's sitting on the right Right above Logan Tennell, church planter, pastor there. We support Sojourn Uganda's Mercy Village Church. On the left, you see Ann and Tim. Ann started Alpha Girl Care Uganda. They care for young ladies uh, who need feminine hygiene products because they're in deep poverty and don't have them. We support her ministry as well. You see, it wasn't goodbye is my point. It was see you later because there's no goodbyes in the gospel. Because our stories have been written by the blood of Jesus. And that love is incorruptible. Doesn't end. So 
So we walk away from Ephesians. I just want to give us two things as we do. The one's like super practical. I don't have much time you got this week. It takes about 20 minutes, they say, which means for me about 35. But the average reader, 20 minutes to read the book of Ephesians. If you can carve out 20 minutes this week, read the book in one setting. I dare you to do it. Just sit down, read the book. And as you do, have a journal open and write no less than one, but maybe no more than three, because then it gets to come. What are the takeaways you're going to have? from this book. Maybe you have notes that you've taken throughout the series. I don't know. You go back to them. What were the things that rose to the surface that as we walk away from this letter, you want to carry with you grace that you need for your transformation in your life or, or encouragement that you received through the book? What it, What is it you're going to take with you as you go? Even if you don't have time to, to carve out 20 minutes and, and read the whole thing, maybe you can think back on, on what it is you took away. From the book. And then the last one is not practical at all. It's more emotional. You're loved by God with love incorruptible. You don't believe it. Wholeheartedly. I don't believe it. Wholeheartedly. Can we be honest about that? Our lives would have far more peace in them if we really want hunt. I'm not saying you don't believe it at all, by the way. Don't hear me say that. I see lives being transformed by deep faith in that reality. My point is we all have room to grow in how much we believe today is loved by God. And that love is incorruptible. When you mess up on Monday as a father or a, or a friend or an employee or a husband, that love is incorruptible. When you fail to live out the takeaways that you got from the book of Ephesians, that love is incorruptible. God loves you with love incorruptible. Man, stand under the spigot of that love every chance you get. Read this book and bask in the love. The discipline of prayer is another opportunity to bask in that love. Come to this place on Sunday morning and sing the songs and bask in that love. Be a part of a community of people, whether that's a community group or a community of people that you already have, that will encourage you to bask in that Love. Get up under the spigot of God's love over and over and over again so that you're overflowing with it and now it spills out into the lives of others. You're going to love God and love others. (laughs) You have to know that you are loved by God. If the gospel story is to transform our stories ongoing forever and ever and ever, we must know that we're loved by God. The letter to the church of Ephesus is ended. But the transforming power of the gospel never ends. If you're not a Christian, receive that incorruptible love today. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You can get in today on the incorruptible love of God through faith in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Simple promise. Jesus died on the cross in your place, took the punishment for your sins, died, was buried, raised from the dead. 
you believe that's enough to make you right with God, you will be saved. If you're not a Christian, trust Jesus today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, if we're honest, and I'm going to be honest, our minds, all the conversations we've had in our community groups or around tables or over the phone concerning the book of Ephesians have only scratched the surface of what you want us to know in Christ. Every word that I've preached and Logan preached and Jay preached has only scratched the surface of the depths of what you intend for us to have through the book of Ephesians. So take all of that from rabble like me and Logan and Jay and all of us in our discussions and set inside of us, uh, fan inside of us, flames of fire of faith to believe that you love us and in that love, that gospel transformation transforms every part of our story. And may it do so. May our lives be different because of your love for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.